If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Uh, at our 11 o'clock service, we're going to tie in, we're going to do the uh, True Love Wait ceremony. So uh, this message is going to kind of apply to them too, but also applies to all of us. And I want to share this with you and, and just, re, just let God speak to our hearts about what will work in our lives. Because I don't care how old we are, we need to be reminded of this incredible truth. We're here today. Uh, the book of Judges, chapter 16. Uh, I want to talk to you about legacy. Legacy. Basically, what <laughs> will your friends and family say about your life when you're gone? And what's even more important, what will God say about your life when you're finished here? So, in understanding that, I want us to take a look at a guy who uh, lived a pretty adventuresome life <laughs> named Samson. And, uh, uh, you know, just, just an incredible guy uh, in many, many ways. He was God's superman, so, a strong man. And he was coming along the book of Judges 16. The book of Judges is about a group of leaders that were to lead Israel uh, fighting off the opposition. The arch enemy of Israel was the Philistines. And they would represent the powers of darkness and the battle between... It's always been going on between Satan and God. And these were the people who were constantly trying to destroy Israel and, and, and create chaos in the life of Israel. And so he raised up judges to deal with these people. And one such guy was named Samson. So looking at this, here's what I want you to get. Let's... Uh, uh, Let's read some scripture together. He had been uh, called uh, to be a judge. He had been prepared. An angel appeared to his mom and said, you know, you need to make sure you, your lifestyle does nothing to damage him. And so then you, you, you go and, and you find this man's born and he, he has this amazing strength. Uh, he had taken a Nazarite vow, which meant he would drink no wine or never cut his hair. And so in the process of that... He, uh, he lived his life, and he became extremely strong. He did great feats of strength, and he did things to constantly torment the Philistines. He would pick fights with them just to whip them, okay? Uh, and he, he, and he, did, he actually was a judge for 20 years over Israel, and there's many things he did. But I want to talk about this today that actually tragically became a part of his legacy, both good and bad. And so, looking at this, I'm just going to read some select scriptures with you, uh, uh, beginning, uh, uh, what you'll find about Samson is he basically, uh, I think he battled sometimes pride in his ability, and he seemed to have a weakness for, the, for, for females. He, he, he just loved women, and they seemed to always kind of get him in trouble. Now, here's the thing. We come across this interesting passage in, in, in verse, uh, well, let me, just, let me take you back here. Let's go over this. Uh, verse, verse 4 of chapter 16. And sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. And the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. And then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver, which is a lot of money. 
All right? So she's been enticed to, to betray the one who's fallen in love with her. And, and so uh, Delilah said to Samson, tell me what makes you strong. First time. She says, honey, darling sweetheart, I would love to know what makes you so strong. You have such big muscles. You can do anything. You're just amazingly strong. Please tell me how you're so strong. And Samson said, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have never been dried, I will become weak as anyone else. Well, Delilah tied him up with the bowstrings and called the Philistines in, and he snaps the bowstrings and whips everybody. First time. Second time, look at this. Okay. After Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now, Samson, you say you love me, but you kind of, you, you make fun of me. Now, you kind of, you kind of trick me. And that kind of, what that is embarrassed. And now, I'm amazed that she has not accounted for the guys that came in and tried to capture him. Like that was some freak accident. But, so anyway, she says, so, uh, now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. Darling, I know you didn't mean to, but you didn't tell me the truth last time. And, and I really want you to kind of kind of do you know if you love me you're going to tell me the truth and I want to know what makes you strong and I don't know how to explain what happened to those Philistines but hey let's just be honest with one another all right so he replied I'm tied up with brand new ropes that have never been used I would become as weak as anyone else well uh, she tied him up with the ropes and and other men were hiding in the inner room and she cried out Samson the Philistines have come to capture you but again he snapped the ropes and his arms were free and he whipped everybody in the room all right and so, needless to say, the second time didn't work. Third time, Delilah said, you've been making fun of me, verse 13, telling me lies. Now, tell me how you can be tied up securely. And, you know, you've got to catch this conversation. Uh, she says, look, I don't know what the problem is. Do you not trust me? Well, I'm thinking there may be cause for that, just a little bit. You're wondering if Samson kind of began to put the pieces together. Every time I tell her something, it happens to me and Philistines show up. Maybe I need to figure out I need a different person in my life. But no. Uh, So the third time, the third time, if you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric of your loom and tie it in the loom shuttle, it will become as weak. I'll become weak like everyone else. Well, she did this. Now, guys, at some point you wonder, what is wrong with Samson? Okay, I mean, we're thinking, dude, what, what, this, is, this is nothing that can happen accidentally. There ain't nobody else. This, she's going to do this to you, okay? And so, uh, you know, uh, he falls asleep. She does this to him and, and so all this kind of stuff. And, and so uh, in the process, she says, okay, here we go again. Uh, same song, third verse. Uh, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. He woke up, broke everything loose, whipped everybody in the room, sent them running. Fourth time. Fourth time. Delilah pouted. 
You know, I've noticed over the years that's a pretty powerful weapon, my women. It works miracles. She pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you strong. And then she goes to her second arsenal. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. At some point, you wonder what's really going through his mind. Did he really think he was that good? Did he really think she was that good? And so all of a sudden, he's, he seems to be, all, he, you know, he's kind of, he's wrestled with this, and she's been on him and been on him and been on him. And the fourth time, finally, verse 17, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair's never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands, and Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. Then she called in a man and shaved off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. She cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes and took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. I love verse 22, but, but before long, his hair began to grow back. They had a great festival, and I, I, I won't read this except for uh, they had a great festival to their God. They decided they wanted to bring Samson out and make fun of him and his God, and uh, so they did that. They demanded he come. A little boy let him out. This great superman of God that could whip hundreds was now being led by a little boy because he couldn't see where he was going. He lost his eyesight, lost his strength, lost his influence. And so now he shows up, he's brought, and he says to the boy, lay me between the pillars. He remembered what it looked like. And, he, and, and so the temple was completely filled with people, people about 3,000 men and women. And they were all coming to make sport and have fun with Samson. In verse 28, I want you to look at this. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Great words. Remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And Samson put his hands on the two center pillows that held up the temple. Pushing against him with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistines' rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime of 20 years as a judge over Israel. The decisions we make determine the direction we take. You might want to write this down. You got a blank page, fill it up. The decisions we 
make determine the direction we take. A righteous person always gets back up. That's real important. The Bible says a righteous man fall down seven times, get back up seven times. Always gets back up. Now, here we go. The two things I want to share with you are this, from this story. There's many we could share, but these are the two I want you to get today. When you dance too close to the fire, you will get burned. You might want to write that down. When you dance too close to the fire, you will get burned. How do you know that? Because I've done it. Didn't dance, but play with fire one time. I was a boy living in Atlanta, and I decided I, for some reason I was probably, uh, I'd seen probably a western where they had a campfire, and I thought, well, I want a campfire because I'll pretend to be a cowboy. And, and so I built this little campfire, a little fire going, and, and I had to sneak matches out of the house and had to gather up stuff, and I had just a little bitty fire going. Well, that wasn't what I thought was impressive. So because I was pretty smart as a little child, I thought gasoline would help. So I went and got the gasoline we usually put in the lawnmower and opened that sucker up and poured it directly over the fire. Now, you guys want to imagine what happened? The fire went straight up the path of the gasoline to the can. And it burnt my hand. Because hold on to it. And it happened like this. I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I'm like, there's the fire, here's the can, let me pour some gasoline on that thing, and just like that. Man, I was burned. I remember running into the house telling mom, the backyard's on fire. Notice the terminology I used. The backyard's on fire, like it happened mysteriously. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> but, you know, the backyard's on fire. And, uh, and so they called the fire, you know, fire trucks came out, put the fire out, because it was, you know, there was a tree catching on fire and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I remember my dad said, son, did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I did that. But my hand was burned badly. And I, they had to, you know, I had to put stuff on it and, and treat it and wrap it for, for, for really a couple of weeks. And it was pretty bad. I'm gracious that there's no real scars from it. You know what I did? It got too close to the fire. Didn't think. Here's what I've just watched and observed in years of ministry in my life, that people sometimes dance too close to the fire. They don't mean to get burned. I mean, nobody wants to get burned because I'll hurt. But something about let's just dance too close to the fire. Samson danced too close to the fire. He seemed to have a great deal of confidence in himself, which is always dangerous. Not to be confident, but to be overconfident in your own ability and know that, you know, you need to take careful inventory. If you think you can never be tempted, you probably will be. So you, you have to acknowledge these things. So he, he kind of is thinking nothing. He's in, he's, he's, nothing can mess with him. He's just whipped everybody, can do anything. And so he really manages to disobey God in several levels, and especially in his love life. And he finds himself uh, with a woman that's a, that betrays him and lies to him and takes advantage of him. And, and he doesn't get it because he's so filled with himself. 
So uh, the, the thing is, if you dance too close to fire, you will get burned. There's two things I think you need to do to make sure that never happens. Number one, you guard your heart. The Bible says to guard your heart because out of it come the issues of life. You guard your heart. Your heart is the center of your emotion. I'm not talking about your muscle that pumps the blood. We need to take care of that too. But you need to guard your center of being, your center of who you are, the, the very center of your emotions and your decision making and your feelings, uh, your personality. You guard that. You don't let yourself get too close to the fire. We all have to deal with fire. We're all something about fire, kind of, you know, we, we're drawn to it. And, 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 and so we, we got to realize, hey, I don't need to get too close. I'll get burned. Don't want that to happen. So you guard your heart. You determine some things that keep you from getting too close. Uh, may I suggest one thing that's real important? Know your weaknesses. Know what your weaknesses are. Because that's what you need to make sure you're guarding against. Every one of us have weaknesses. Samson's problem was he didn't think he had any weaknesses. And one of his greatest weaknesses was the opposite sex. Got him in trouble with his parents. Got him in trouble with, just happened, happened, happened. So, cost him his eyesight. Because somewhere he thought he really could handle the fire. Up close and personal. And he got burned. Know your weaknesses. You say, why is that important? Because Paul says God becomes strong in our weaknesses. If we acknowledge our weaknesses, if we it, it can identify them, we can pray about them, we can grow through them, we can overcome them, we can be aware of them. We don't have to be at the mercy of temptation and seduction and all the things that would draw us into our weaknesses. <clears throat> we depend on the Lord when we're weak. And in our witness, we God, you know, this uh, just helped me because he provides a way of escape. Yeah, I'm amazed. Samson should have ran from this woman after the first time. And he didn't. After the second time, you're thinking, okay, maybe you've given the benefit of the doubt because love does that. I get that. But after the second time, man, you need to, you need to run from this woman. She doesn't have your best interest at heart. Third time. You wonder what he's thinking. He's thinking, I'm, I'm pretty strong. I can handle this. You can never handle your weaknesses alone. Ever. Don't think you can. Uh, guard your heart. Know how to make an escape. Have an escape plan. When the fire's roaring. Know what your weaknesses are. The second thing about that is gather a support system. The one thing I find about Samson is you read his life, he was kind of alone. He, had, he, he didn't listen to his parents. He kind of discounted them, and, and um, that's a whole different sermon. But 
and he didn't seem to have anybody around him. He didn't have to have a second in command. He just kind of was his own guy. He was an island to himself, and he had no support. Now, first of all, I think you have to gather support in this life. I don't think we're in designed to be an island to ourselves and to live by ourselves in such a way. So you, you gather support. Where does your support system come from? That's important. Where is your support system? Family? Friends? Followers of Christ. Those would be three areas I'd look at pretty closely. Family. Is my family supportive? Some families are, some aren't. I get that. Friends. Some friends are fair-weather friends. You need to discount those. I don't even call those friends. I call those acquaintances. But you need to have some people around you. It doesn't take a lot of people. It doesn't take a crowd. It takes just two or three to five people. Maybe not even that many that just are going to support you. They're going to love you. They're going to hang with you through thick and thin. And they're going to tell you the truth. That's when you know you have a friend. They tell you the truth. They tell you. You're getting too close to the fire. Had a pastor friend of mine, good friend, known him a long time. He got in some trouble in Bazaar, pastor of a flagship church in Georgia. Means a great church. Okay. And uh, he had guys around him all the time. I always went, every week we had an entourage. Uh, and, and, you know, he had guys and he had friends. And he was, uh, he was uh, probably in line to be the next president of the state convention at one time many years ago. But he got, he got in trouble. It broke my heart. I didn't, I, and, and, of course, when something happens, people, you know, they, they magnified and, 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 you know, they, they, they add to it. And, but I, I, I met and talked with a guy and said, tell me the truth about it. And, and I, and I met with my, my buddy, and I said, I'm sorry what you're going through. I'm sorry it happened. Um, let's talk about it. I want to tell you I love you. I'm your, I'm your friend, and, and I'm going to hang with you. We talked for a long time. We met on two or three occasions. I said, I've got to ask you a question. From what happened, you had to be given signs of, of, of messing up. Because you have people around you all the time. You see. Why did not any of these people that are around you, stop you and say, you need to take inventory. You need to realize that you're dancing too close to the fire. You know what he said? It's sad. He said, oh, they knew some things. They just never said anything because they were more concerned about where I could take them and if they said something, I probably would not, I would have probably not reacted right. Well, they aren't friends. Because friends tell people the truth. And maybe they're mad at you for a few days. But I don't want my friend to get burned. So you say, look, you can't do this. You can't do this. 
getting too close to the fire. If you get burned, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be your friend, but I don't want you to get burned. So you have to have people around you that will be honest with you and tell you the truth, okay? Followers of Christ that will tell you, hey, you know, you're getting too close to the fire. Everybody doesn't need to know your secrets, but there's all, you need a support group. I say that a friend, a family member, follow of Christ, maybe just one, that'll be honest with you. Tragically, unfortunately, most people just really won't be honest with you. It's not good. We're too afraid to be honest in church, afraid what people say about us. It's not good either. Then we're afraid people will pull back from us, and they do, and that's not right, but find your support system. The second thing I want you to get is this. Here we go. God's grace allows for second chances. I love this story, not because uh, the thing that's powerful in this story I, I, hurt, I hurt because I, saw, I know what happened to him. He lost his eyesight. He, he lost uh, his strength. And he's, 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 his life is radically changed, drastically different. But uh, the Philistines think they've won. They think they have dominated the judge over Israel, and they've, their gods have put his God to shame and he is messed up, and yeah, he's kind of really messed up big, and it's caused a lot of problems, and they're celebrating his failure. You know, people do that all the time. They'll celebrate your failure. That's kind of odd. I don't think people should do that, but people do. They'll celebrate your failure. Well, they were celebrating his failure, and I love, I love this verse. Verse 22, but before long, his hair began to grow back. God's grace allows for second chances. Don't ever forget that. Verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Grace always allows for second chances. Samson, in a moment of grace, did more at his death to deliver Israel from enemies than he had accomplished throughout his whole life. God is so good. I want you to understand today, if you failed, that's not the end of the line. Grace is a very powerful thing that allows for second chances. God begins to work and lets you know he's still there. Hair grew back. Samson realizes, hey, my hair's grown back. Lord, remember me again. Messed up. Blew it. Failed. Sinned. Yeah. But Lord, remember me again. And the Lord does. Say, how do you know it ended good? Well, it ended, it ended kind of bad. I mean, the guy died, but he didn't want to live blind anyway. 
He would have been, a, you know, he couldn't function as a judge that way. He couldn't be a warrior. But what he could do in his last act was bring down the temple of other, other gods and expose their gods for futile and his God mighty. Because the story goes to the land that a blind man pushed the pillars down and killed over 3,000 Philistines. Pretty good. You know what his legacy was? He was a man of faith. How do you know that? You go to Hebrews chapter 11. And he's mentioned there. That's what grace does. See, in our world, we would never mention Samson again, would we? We'd be done with him. But not God. Hebrews 11, he's there as one of the heroes of faith. Grace. Grace greater than our sin. You know, I, I think about grace and... and Paul's message, message at the close of his life was that grace saves us. Grace saves us bringing rescue from the penalty of our sinful condition and bringing us into a right relationship with God. Grace saves. Peter's message at the close of his life was grace keeps us. God's love will never let us go. We are, when we are not faithful, he's faithful always. And John's message at the close of his life of grace was grace will take you home. God's grace. Always allows for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. All through my ministry, I've had to deal with people who didn't understand that. Uh, and I've seen the young ladies get in trouble and get pregnant out of marriage. And, and everybody wants to throw stones at them. That's sad. Shouldn't do that. To restore. You say, what can I do to restore you? What can I do to help you get back where God can do something in your life? My first funeral was a man who committed suicide. Tough. I didn't know what to do. I'd never done a funeral, much less a funeral of one who's committed suicide. And I, I prayed over and said, God, what can I say to these people that have come to hear a word about this? And most are coming wanting, they want to know, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Well, I'm going to say, the Lord gave me a message. He was out sin, cast the first stone. I don't know what this guy thought. I don't know what he was afraid of. I, I don't understand the inner thinkings of his mind. I understood some of his weaknesses, some of his battles. But by the grace of God, go I. That's what I understand. A young girl gets pregnant out of wedlock. How, how long do we make her suffer? What do we do to make her pay? That's not what my Bible teaches. My Bible teaches that you restore someone as quickly as possible. I had one of my pastor buddies call me one time when I was dealing with this. And, and, and uh, it was a big deal, you know, in a state and all this kind of stuff. And I agreed to marry them and I, I, the couple and, and I got a lot of flack. But I remember one of my buddies called me and said, you know, you don't need to do that. So, you know, you still need to do that. I said, why? They said, well, you know, that's just they didn't do things right. I said, brother, we do a lot of things that are right in our life. They said, I know, I'm talking, you know. They, I said, no. He said, well, you've got three daughters. 
what would you want someone to do? I said, exactly. I've got three daughters. And I would hope that the church they attend would seek to restore them as quickly as possible. I mean, how long we make them pay? Six months, 12 months, two years? You tell me. Say, that's not what I'm saying. See, that's not what you're saying. I believe God's grace allows for second chances and restores brokenness. And he does things maybe in a different way because you made some bad choices. But he does something in your life incredible. Because that's what grace does.